this your theme song? No voice. Yeah, they have a What's up, everyone? All right. I'm so excited here today because, guys, I've got some incredible people here. I'm sure you guys have seen the thing. And if you're listening to this on podcast, I'm very honored and pleased to be up here. My name is Jimmy Kim. I'm the founder and CEO of Sendlane. And I've got one, I've got the man, the myth, the legend over here, the man who shit talks more on the internet than I've ever seen. And people love him, Sean from Ridge.com. It feels like an NFL like conference up here, and I'm just here so I don't get fined. So what's up, everybody? <laughs> and then I've got the man who simplifies everything and makes such a beautiful brand, the water bottles that a lot of you guys are holding here today. That's Simple Modern. And then last, I've got I actually bought these pans at a Costco roadshow in 2019 or 18, and I didn't know who they were, and then they blew up on the internet, and I was like, I own those things. And that man right there that brought it to the internet right there, Jason Panzer. So today on this live podcast, we have two big things that we're going to talk about. Three things, really. One, we're going to talk about wins. We're going to talk about why these brands are winning. They're going to talk about what they see within themselves. Two, we're going to talk about the panzerism of the week because we got to do that. And three, we want to bring you guys up and get you interacting and ask the questions that you might want to be asking to these guys here on stage. So let's start right away and get right to it, man. Sean, why is Ridge winning? Who said we're winning? Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's been a great year. Uh, I have the most boring answer. I think it's because ad costs are down. So if you guys, I saw a couple like uh, Facebook ads managers up when I was walking through the audience and CPMs are just way lower. So VCs, uh, like all VC dollars have been sucked out. No one's spending money on marketing anymore. Like Hollywood is like a big driver. Like if you look at like, if you talk to a Facebook rep, like how much entertainment makes up of like Facebook's budget, like I think 8% of all dollars spent on Facebook are entertainment dollars. And those are at zero right now because there's a strike and not very many movies coming out. And then real estate. I mean, real estate uh, volumes at an all-time low. And that's an all, another 10% of, of Facebook dollars. So you have to remember that like e-commerce, even though it's a huge percentage of GDP, like consumers, 80% of GDP, it's a small ship when it comes to ad budgets. And we're just benefiting from macroeconomic headwinds in like every other category. So it makes it easy to sell wallets on the internet today. That's, that's what I'm proud for. But hold on, look, I, I look at that and I hear that, but then I see the things that you guys do in the market. Like this recent thing with the wallet and the Hennessy truck that you guys are doing. Guys, like that, that, that's a change. Like I've seen that story in like the automotive space and where it makes sense, but you guys have done something and I'm seeing it all over the internet. Like I'm seeing it third party, I'm seeing ads, I'm seeing a lot of things and it's changing the way you're perceiving the brand. What do you think about that? Do you think that's part of it too? We're definitely getting better at doing cool new stuff. I mean, for years, we didn't do anything, right? From like the wallet came out in 2013, we didn't release other products until like 11 months ago. <laughs> so it was just a lot of money spent trying to sell wallets. So anything else we do is like just additional. Uh, I don't know if Taylor Holiday's here, but like he has a thing called like the four peak strategy. We've talked about it on the podcast before, but. There was no reason to buy a Ridge wallet in Q3, right? We have a big sale on Father's Day. We do fucking eight figures a month for back-to-back -back months. And then there's nothing going on in July or August or September. So we had to do something. And I was at a uh, Nick Shackelford event and some guy was talking about giving away cars. And then I met some other guy 
uh, who lives in San Diego. Uh, his name's Scott. He had a company that gave away cars. And it's like, okay, fuck it. We'll do that. And it worked. So this is just the third year of doing that. And it's just better. And we can, we have more money so we can hire better people to make things a little more polished. So yeah, man, doing stuff to sell wallets. Yeah. No. Hey, he, he, he shouldn't get out of here that quick because one of the things that they did this year that was an absolute masterstroke is they took a shot at a couple product categories. Sean's being way too modest. They took a shot at watches and they took a shot at rings and rings has been an absolute killer new product for them. And so Sean, tell us about why rings has worked for you. Uh, yeah. So probably most of our success is new product expansion, right? I think ad dollars are going further, which is awesome, but rings just unlock a new market, right? Like how many people in here want to buy a wallet today? The answer is probably like, Less than 1% of the US population wants to buy a wallet today. Uh, but there's a big subset. So a million people get married every year and they absolutely need a ring right now, right? So there's an active in-market audience and we wouldn't have captured those dollars if we didn't have rings. So by just turning those on, it's like immediate, the first month was over a million dollars. And it's like, oh, holy shit. Like when you sell something people have to have, right? Uh, the marketing efficiency is better. You can just add revenue way quicker. And I was telling uh, some people earlier, it's kind of like concert tickets, right? Like if you ever try to buy concert tickets, the flow is horrible. Like CRR experts need to call up Ticketmaster, but it doesn't matter because they don't have to increase CRR because you want to go see Taylor Swift. Like you will click five fucking buttons and you'll put in your password twice and what, and you'll put up with fees and all this bullshit. And rings are kind of like that. There's people who have to buy one. Obviously they have more choice, but unlike wallets, it's a non-discretionary purchase. So that's the biggest unlock with rings. It's just an easy way to add net new revenue to the business. And even if our core business was flat, the fact that we can do several million dollars every single month of drinks, just brand new revenue we couldn't capture otherwise. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, we got to back that up, Mike. Well, but, wait, Mike, before we get to Mike, I just, my mind is blown here because there's water bottles that aren't from Simple Modern. <laughs> no, we don't have a single insulated water bottle. So, Jimmy, marketing team, where, where are they? That's it. And you've got some Next Simple, and simple Modern. There we go. All right. I think oh, we're set. We hold on, Boom. There we go. We got one right nice, there. Jake. And it's, fully and it's branded, custom, so we paid extra. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for your purchase. All right. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give a couple of answers. So Sean alluded to this. I think your success, the, our success this year is two things, some of which we control and some of which we don't control. And just like Sean mentioned, every year you're going to have tailwinds or headwinds and you can't control those. You can't control that Hollywood's having a strike or, you know, that interest rates are low and people are spending money, you know, for dubious reasons on Facebook. There, there are all these elements you can't control. Some of those for us that we couldn't control but matter. Uh, one was there's just been huge secular growth in our category. Obviously, Stanley has crushed it this year. There have been a few brands uh, that have really done well. So, like at one point, Stanley had the number five key term on all of Amazon. Like that's a mega trend. That's a huge tailwind. Another example of a tailwind I wrote about this recently. Uh, if you look at exchange rates with China, they are the most favorable for importing that they've been since 2007. So if you're an importer, it's a great time to be importing. And also, 
the other thing that stacks on top of that is freight rates are at you know lower rates than they were before COVID. Who had that on their bingo card a couple of years ago, right? And so you've got these tailwinds that have kind of stacked for us. We can't control them. And one of the things that happened to us in 22, I'll share you just a little bit uh, kind of authentically. We had an investor meeting at the end of 22 and it felt like a wake. Like we were really disappointed. Even though we'd had a record year in revenue, the profit hadn't come in anywhere near where we thought. And it felt like we had failed. This year, we, we've had kind of the opposite effect. And as we've dug into the numbers, what we realized was last year, we probably had $10 million or more less in profit just because of logistics and exchange rate. And this year, it flipped and it went the other way. So the first thing I just say is one of the reasons why you just want to stay in the game is some years it's going to go your way. And some years it won't. And you don't know which years those are going to be. And that's why you got to be in the game. I think specifically to our company, things that have really worked for us, we really developed a heck of a product pipeline. We've talked about this before on the pod, but the thing you can do in consumers, you can make asymmetric bets. We have never launched a water bottle product where we have not gotten back our initial capital. So I'll use this analogy sometimes that it's like, imagine you could go to Vegas, you can sit down at the blackjack table and when you bust or you lose, you get your money back. But then when you win, you still get paid out. You just sit at the table, you'd be like, I wanna bet as many hands as I possibly can. And that's the way that it's been for launching products for us, that they're so asymmetric when they work. Work. There's such a high return. So we developed this really robust pipeline and we probably will launch, I don't know, a thousand SKUs this year, some, some stupid number. And that really took years to build that kind of infrastructure. Now, where we got lucky is that our industry really became a fashion-based industry where trend matters and where you've got to be fresh. And those two things collided in a really good way. Um, there's a lot of other stuff I could talk about. I could talk about omni-channel and how that's paid off for us, but I'll, I'll actually pick one more distinctive because I don't want to suck up all of our time talking about our success. I <laughs> <laughs> a bad, bad topic. Worst, worst humble brag ever there, I think. Um, no, but seriously, the, the one other thing that I think has really shown to me this year when we started the company, before we knew what we were going to sell, we knew the type of company we wanted to build and we knew the type of culture we wanted to have and what we wanted the company to be about. And that is a thing that gets underemphasized, I think. We can talk so much about tactics of how to increase your click-through rate, how do you drive down your CPM, you know, how do you, you know, how do you get the best hook? And the reality is that early on, you can get away with crappy culture. You can. And early on, it really is about survival and about clawing your way to profitability. But I can tell you in year eight, culture is why we win now. Because you don't win because of any one thing. You win because of a really high functioning team that's all motivated and all driven towards the same thing. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to work with a senior leadership team where uh, I'd say the top 13 or 14 leaders of the company, if you asked them, they'd say, hey, this is what I plan on doing with my career. And so we're all able to get the benefit of working together for a long period of time, building trust and every year getting better at what we do. And even though it, it surprises me in year eight, I've still learned as much about being successful in this role as I have any other year. I thought that the learning would run out, but it hasn't. I'm still feeling challenged. I'm still learning. And, and so culture is definitely winning for us. 
you talk about culture, culture is a part of execution. That's, that's what I talk about. So when I, why are we winning? I think it's about great product and strong execution. But before, before I do that, what's interesting about what you just said about your market, and I think it probably applies in a number of different markets, is that it's really not a zero-sum game in your market, right? Stanley is a big player, and you guys are crushing it. Yeti is out there. There are plenty of people making drinkware. So how does that market dynamic work? Like, I think that's really yeah. interesting. It's a, well, so we talked about this. I don't even know if, if the pod where we talked about it got released, but I think it's such a compelling point that it's worth making is that I used to think about our primary competition is other people that are selling water bottles. But the reality is the very best thing that can happen for Simple Modern is for our category to grow, for it to be normative for people to spend a lot of money on water bottles and to own eight or nine water bottles. And so I'm actually rooting for our competitors. It's good when Stanley's strong. It's good when Yeti's strong. It, it it keeps everybody innovating and it keeps people interested in water bottles. It keeps it at the top of TikTok and it grows the perception of how much people want to spend on water bottles every year. Because if you think about it, we're all selling in discretionary categories. And I mean, like you said, Sean, maybe some of them kind of are on the border like rings, but most of what we sell is discretionary in nature. And so we're competing against other discretionary categories and that like we're competing against Starbucks, whether we think about it that way or not. And so when our category is strong, when our competitors are strong, that's a tailwind for us. Yeah, we should talk about the way Facebook ads actually work because we're standing in the house Facebook ads built, right? Like. You know, Shopify is still Facebook's checkout. That's just the reality. But Facebook's an in-market system. So what Mike's talking about is that when Yeti spends ads and they, they do top of funnel awareness, it's pushing people into the water bottle in-market segment inside of Facebook. So like the best thing for you is actually to have competitors who spend a fuck ton of money, right? And without them, the whole market's way smaller. And like it's, you know, the gut instinct is to be like, no, I want to kill my competition. But because of the way ad auctions work, the best thing to have is a ton of competition spending a ton of money. Absolutely. So it's, it's a, instead of a scarcity mindset, it's an abundance mindset of, hey, not that I, for me to win, they've got to proportionally lose. But if I run my business well, my competitors run their business well, we're all going to win. I love that because... People ask all the time, you know, Hex, why is Hexcut so successful? Who are you taking share from? And I'm like, that's not the point. It's not about taking share. The market is, we've made the market larger. We've increased the TAM. Like Sean says, great products create their own TAM. Um, Caraway is here. There's a bunch of other D2C cookware brands. Uh, not only does it help when they're spending, but but just in general, we've train we've changed the way people think about cooking and what they want to spend money on for their kitchen it's the same as water bottles being a fashion statement you know it's the same in your kitchen now and so it's really not a zero sum game it's about building the tam and increasing the size of the market then and that's why you don't have to hate your competitors you could admire your competitors i admire our competitors but in general, when it, like, why are we winning? I always talk about this on the pod. It always starts with a great product. You know, it's just like great product is table stakes, great product and great execution. And on the execution side, you can, a great product 
can help you, it can help sort of hide your flaws, but eventually they will catch up to you. And that's what happened to Hexclad in 2021. In 2020, we were riding off the pandemic. We, we know we have a great product. Um, and it was all really easy. CPMs were low. It was just like, wow, this is great. Uh, our operations are terrible. That doesn't matter. Like the cash in the bank is going like this. And, uh, and we got to like the middle of 2021 and we realized that none of us knew how to execute an e-commerce business. And we had hired a, a VP of marketing who could kind of talk the lingo better than we did. And we were impressed and that didn't work out. And we brought on, we managed to get Gordon in 2021. And so that again, sort of hid our weakness in execution. And it wasn't until, I mean, like we talk about weakness. We were barely sending emails, Jimmy, in, in like, we, I mean, we must, we were like sending one email a month, I think. I just want to talk about humility for a second. Motherfucker has a hundred percent growth year over year, nine figure econ brand. He's like, yeah, I didn't understand e-commerce two years ago. It's like, you <laughs> fucking bastard. I love that there's no quacks. You're getting the unquacked version of Sean today. <laughs> Motherfucker just falls ass backwards into like a hundred million dollars in EBITDA being like, yeah, I just, we didn't send an email. So it's like, hats off to this guy. Yeah. But we did, you know, we did focus really hard on leveling up in, in 2022 and it worked. And a lot of that was about surrounding our organization with the best in class in whatever we could. So we engaged a bunch of different agencies in 2022, we engaged Homestead. We engaged Sean Brands. We worked with a guy called Ben Kochavi from uh, Cold Brew Digital, who was like my conciliary for a year. And we we used Van Group to rebuild our website. And we took a lot of risks and a lot of swings and all those. But all, fundamentally, it was about being obsessed with the execution that is the reason why we are where we are today. And luckily we've built, we're a big enough brand now that it's, it really just, the snowball is rolling down the hill, you know, and you just, you have to get there. Like we're spending more and our CAC is down and it's really not because we're so smart. It's about like each step in the way you have the opportunity to use good judgment and make good decisions in your execution. And like Sean said, realizing that there's so much you don't know, you have to go out and ask people questions. And like, I was 48 years old when I got into the D2C space. Okay. So I didn't think that I could learn something new, but you, you know, you get obsessed with something. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really that focus on execution that has done it for us. I think, I think I, I just want to call out what Sean said, humility and growth mindset. It is so easy when a company is as successful as Hexclad has been to just kind of beat your chest and say, we're so smart. And really, if you listen to Jason, you hear the opposite, even though he knows, you know, he's forgotten more about finance than I'll ever know. And yet Jason is constantly asking questions. He's constantly looking for advisors. He's constantly trying to figure out how to grow. And, and you're really hearing the opposite of what you'd hear from most people that have the level of success you're having, which I think is part of the reason why you guys are so successful is that growth mindset. 
No, I think, I think as I'm listening from the outside, what's really interesting as I hear these things, there's a lot of commonalities. The obsession thing is very clear. Let me ask you guys a different question to that. With that obsession, how does the paranoia feed in? Because I know there's a level of paranoia that this won't continue, right? We're all founders in different ways. I don't know if, Sean, you think they're just going to forever, but like, you know, the paranoia that builds inside of you, it's what I feel all the time. If someone asks me like, are you excited about what's happening? I'm like, no, because in 12 months, I got to be doing double, triple this. And like the paranoia builds inside of you. As founders, you guys think about that? I'll start with you, Sean. Uh, no, it's, it's a great thing. I think it ties into, you know, Jason feeling humble, right? Um, look, the most successful people I know definitely speak the quietest and yeah, we're just having a great year. Going to set records, hopefully do a couple hundred million bucks, but like in the grand scheme of things, like my competition is our no, right? Like LVMH will sell $35 billion with the leather bags. So like, I, I, as much as I could go up here and be like, I'm the fucking smartest guy ever in e-commerce. It's like, dude, I have to kill such a big dragon. And it's like, yeah. it's like, I, I, I still feel like I'm, I'm may, maybe on day two of that journey. So, uh, I don't feel crushing paranoia, but I feel like I haven't actually reached the success yet. Cause it's like, dude, Yeti's going to do a sell. They're going to do a billion dollars in water bottles this year. Right. It's like, man, Mike makes a better water bottle. It's like, I should fucking do a billion dollars in wallets. And like, I'm probably three or four years away from that. So until I get that, then maybe I'll feel paranoia. But the way I'm seeing it, it's like, it's a very long journey and we're just getting started. Yeah, definitely the long game. What about you, Mike? So I'll actually take this a little bit of a different direction. I think one of the most important things I've learned as a founder is about where I find identity. And it is so easy to find your identity and your work, that who I am is my title or it's my revenue chart. And for years, like, I mean, there would be days, um, you know, in the past when the revenue chart didn't say what I wanted it to, where I would feel embarrassed, you know? And if you've been that person, like we, we've all been to that place, we've struggled with having our identity totally wrapped up in our job. And I think what's the transformation that's happened inside of me that has made me a far better leader uh, and a much more dangerous competitor is that I let go of that. And I'm not my title. I'm not my company. I'm not my revenue. This money that I have is temporarily in my bank account and in 30 or 40 years or whatever, it's going to be in somebody else's because I'm not going to be here. I don't get to take it with me. It's all temporary. And the moment that I kind of got to that place all of a sudden where I wasn't holding on too tight to any of this stuff, my ability to really radically pursue just doing things with excellence just for the sake of finding out what am I capable of doing, like what's possible, not because I need to do it so that I feel like I have value or purpose or meaning, but just because it's fun. And that was a huge unlock for me. So my mindset has become... I want to run the company as well as I can. I want to go all in on trying to create something unique and culture and making a dent in the universe and giving away a bunch of money. But that's not my identity. That's not where my worth is found as a person. And there are tons of factors beyond my control that'll dictate how that goes. And I think as a result, I'm just, I'm a much better, I can sleep well at night. I think, I think that's one of the things that I just, I sleep like a baby at night and I don't think about competitors. And when we have a rough week, I'm able to just, you know, I'm able to take it in stride because of, of that internal mindset. 
That's cool. What about you, Jason? You think about? I thought this? we did mine already. That's not. I think no. I think we hit. We hit it. Let's um, let's let's breeze into the panzerism because it's okay. This is to perfect this. for the panzerism. Okay, then. so let's jump into it. Um, we we're talking about being obsessed, and I just started doing these things on the pod called panzerism, just because I feel like I'm the oldest guy on the pod. I call myself the ecom grandpa and try to give people just some of the, the things Oracle. that I've learned. The Oracle of ecom, and um, so none of them that I necessarily make up, although maybe a couple of them I did. But the one that I was thinking about for today is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, and. It goes back to being obsessed, but like the best entrepreneurs, the best athletes, the best operators, they're all incredibly obsessed with being the best at what they do. You can still have a life like Mike is talking about uh, outside of it as, as we all do, but you have to be obsessed. If you look at this panel, Sean is obsessed, Mike is obsessed. Jimmy is obsessed. If you look out there, Ben from True Classic, Tease is here. He's obsessed. Steve from Cuts, obsessed. Everyone that I, it's, it's just axiomatic that you have to be obsessed. And I'm really not that smart. I'm really not that athletic, but I have a huge capacity to be obsessed. Like huge. I, um, I went to law school. I went to Fordham Law School in New York City. I graduated in 1997. I went to Arizona State undergrad, which was not a very prestigious university. Um, but everyone who went to Fordham Law School just missed getting into Columbia and NYU. These people were fucking pissed. And, and that's what I had to deal with. And I had to like go toe to toe with them and study my ass off to get my law degree. And this sort of goes back to like, a little bit of career advice that I like to give is Every opportunity I've had in my career has been based on my current job, like my job then. It was about being obsessed with being great at my job. And by being great at my job, it led to the next opportunity. And I think that oh, there are a lot of people who are focused on, oh, I'm going to do this job, but I'm going to look over here and I'm going to do a little, I'm going to do my little mentor pass. Kenny's a great guy, by the way. <laughs> Send him some cookware. And like, but it's like, listen, be obsessed about your current job and everything else will, will open up to you. Like, I went to business school while working full time. I went to business school in Columbia at night, nights and weekends because like, I was obsessed with that. I was, uh, I was a CFO of a French technology company at the time. This, the guy who hired me was like, Oh, you Jason, you don't need to learn French. Like, okay. I showed up in Paris. I had such a headache and nobody on my team. I had five accountants on my team. No one wanted to talk to me because I didn't speak French. It was brutal. So I became obsessed. I hired a tutor. I busted my ass and I learned French. So in my, in my thirties, I was super out of shape because I worked at Skadden as an M&A lawyer and like gained like 30 pounds. And so... I started running and I did a marathon. I'm like, I really want to do a triathlon. You know, here's the problem. I did not know how to swim. Like I literally was like a two-year-old in the water. I put my face in the water and I'd start like water running up my nose. I would go to the YMCA in Orange, Connecticut and like have fucking panic attacks at the edge of the water. And you know, three years later, I did an Ironman. So I think anyone, 
out there could be up at this table um, if they're obsessed enough. So um, you could, you could hard work beats talent, talent doesn't running. work hard. I think they, they can shoot higher than being on this table. I think that's the, there's higher things to reach, but I, I love the statement, weaponized autism. Just get obsessed with something. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, man, I, I wish I had uh, autism for crypto or finances or being a quant, but unfortunately it's ads in e-commerce. So this is, this is what I'm doing. I'll, I'll add one thing to what you said, Jason, which is at our company, we have a value of excellence. And it's funny because I'll, I'll teach on excellence. And for years, I taught it wrong. I realized it, excellence, there's two different ways you can define it. It's me versus other people. How do I stack up? Or it's me versus myself and what I'm capable of. Like I use this old analogy. If you've ever played Mario Kart, it's like when you're doing time trial versus Mario Kart GP. Excellence is about when you're racing yourself. And that's the obsession. The obsession for me isn't how can I stack up? How much better can I be than my competitors or anything else? It's how, what am I capable of? You know, and that am I getting the absolute maximum of what I'm capable of doing? And here's one other thing I've learned about excellence. You can only really pursue excellence in a few areas of your life. And so you, one of the things that defines our life is where we choose to funnel that because it really takes so much time and intensity and focus and effort to really even approach our best in any area that you have to choose wisely. Yeah, I think it's a great panzerism, right? It's it's hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah, I think we've all seen naturally talented people totally fail because they're not willing to put the hours in. Yep. Very cool. All right, as we're going through time, I want to be mindful of this. And I want to give the audience here an opportunity to ask some questions. And I'm sure you've got some... Oh, we've got a question right here. Hi. Thank you. There you go. Hi there. So I'm a Gen Zer, and obviously we're all using TikTok. So how are you guys turning towards TikTok to utilize that? You know, the influencers, the UGC, that whole thing. What are you guys doing for your brands on that front? I, I can take that first. So we're like the poster child for haven't spent any money on influencer, didn't really have a strategy, did not even have a company TikTok account like 18 months ago. But what we have done in the last year that has really worked and has been true to our brand is we created an account and most of the content, I'd say 90 something percent of the content is us just filming people in the company with our product and doing silly things. And so it feels authentic, which I think TikTok is all about. If it's too shiny, if it's too varnished, it's not believable. And so it feels authentic, um, but also like it gives people a sense of kind of the culture and what it's like to work at our company and the type of people that work at the company, which makes the brand more attractive. And so, you know, we had an OKR, I think, this year, like, hey, let's grow our TikTok following to 25,000, which I know is not impressive. But in the first half of the year, I think we grew it to like 65,000. We might get to 100,000 this year. And we did it all through just taking stupid videos around the office of our people being... And, you know, the person who runs it is a 24-year-old person in our creative department. And I think that's probably the future of internal content creation. I know Sean's got some really interesting ideas on this as well. Uh, yeah, well, I think the, the best thing about TikTok right now is the TikTok shop. So that's, I think, globally released as of maybe last week, maybe Friday or something. So TikTok's done what Facebook should have focused on five years ago. And 
integrated content influencers and shopping to a very authentic way. And I think they'll, there's no public figures on this, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a hundred billion in GMV next year passed through the TikTok shop. They're aggressively pursuing it. I think it'll beat out Timu. And I think it's a real rival to whatever Facebook shops ends up being. So I think that's probably the best thing to focus on. In terms of creating content, my wife's a TikTok influencer. So that's what she does for a living. Uh, and She's always shooting content. And then we bought a publication called EverydayCarry.com. You're always shooting content. Yeah, dude. I, and I have to I have to help a lot of the time. Uh, trust me, I'm always holding the camera. Uh, so we bought EverydayCarry.com and that's now like... Uh, all they do is just shoot gear content on TikTok. And we've gotten a couple hundred million views, maybe. Something like that. So I'm super excited about that. We started on TikTok right away. Uh, we just like, we didn't, it's one of those things where we didn't know what to do, but we just felt like we had to be there. And it's probably like in early 2022. And what the result has been that we get product in people's hands and people constantly texting me, oh, I just saw th this person, that person. A lot of them, we don't pay. Um, that's, I actually really like when people post our product uh, without tagging us because it just seems authentic. It is authentic. And we're fortunate in that our product has a certain le level of visibility. Like you can see that it's ours. And so I think we were been very big early on about just getting product in people's hands, doing a lot of seeding. I think seeding for influencer is, is, is incredibly valuable, specifically if you, your project product is, is visual and you don't need people to to necessarily tag you and, and make it seem like overly salesy. And we're just focusing on creating great content in general. Like I love what you guys are doing on TikTok, by the way. It's great. You know, we're fortunate in that cooking and food is just like it's a huge category. Like the three top things on on Instagram on the right are what girls in bikinis. K-pop. K-pop. Uh <laughs> right. And and cooking. So you know, it's, it's easy for us, but you know, we, we were all in on TikTok from the beginning and it's, it's definitely paid off for us. We, we spend on paid on TikTok, uh, you know, pretty, a pretty decent clip. One, one final point I'd make there, which is the future is video and it's visual and you should be thinking through with your product, how to make the value proposition obvious visually without words. And a simple example for us was Stanley became really popular and uh, several videos went mega viral where literally there's no words. The person just holds up a Stanley tumbler in ours and they turn it upside down and there's leaks in our doesn't. And those drove millions of dollars in sales without a word being said. Uh, so if you can find a way to have visual hooks with your product and design around that, I think it's wise in the world to come. Just going back to TikTok shop. 600 billion in GMV on Amazon, 550 billion GMV on Shopify. I think TikTok shop could do one fifth of that next year. So it is a fifth of the opportunity of all of Amazon. We've got a question up front. Yeah, so this might be a question more for uh, you, Sean, at Ridge. Um, I know you guys do your creator sponsoring where you give these wallets to creators and sponsor them. Is that a media buying model that a bootstrap company could use for like media buying and bringing in sales? Or does Ridge just use that model for mass impressions? Uh, so we run the entire company. 
with a goal of a 0.6 last click in north beam blended. Okay, so what does that mean? It means uh, within 24 hours of a click, uh, with no view through attribution, we want Facebook, we want everything to be hitting that number, right? And so we spend as much on the channel until we see that number decline. So for TikTok, maybe it's $10,000 a day. On Facebook, it's $65,000 a day, whatever. And why do we do 0.6? It's because we've looked at it, we've modeled it out. That leads to about a 3x MER if you include wholesale and Amazon or whatever else. Uh, and we run our influencer program through that same sort of rigor. So it needs to hit a 0.6 last click and we spend as much money there. Now it's a lot harder to spend that money, right? And it's way more of a gamble because we sponsored Smarter every day. It costs $100,000 that video to go live. The day before you have no idea what's going to happen. And so you have to commit the $100,000 to see what's going to happen. But we do see a direct response from those ads and we wouldn't do it if we didn't. Uh, we have no brand budget, so everything needs to hit inside of that 0.6. Now, could a bootstrap company do it? It's like, yeah, it's just you have to put hours in the day to do that. And if I was starting rich again, right now, I would prefer to make my own content on a TikTok, on an Instagram Reels, or a YouTube Shorts than start with sponsoring people. Because I've talked about this openly, sponsoring people is hella fucked up right now, mostly because of FTX and the shift in the algorithm to for you content. If you open up your YouTube home feed, it used to be 10 very large creators. And now it's nine incredibly small creators getting hundreds of views and one Mr. Beast video. So I think the state of the influencer market on, on YouTube and, and in general is really fucked up. Awesome. Thank you. Got a question here at front. Yeah. Testing. Test. Oh. Hello. Ask it nicely. Hello. Oh, we're good. Oh, there we go. <laughs> hey there. Um, question. Right now, can you guys, I don't, Mike, you probably can't do this, but maybe the other two. Uh, how is your marketing slash advertising department structured? Like who are the key players? Um, yeah. What does that look like? Mike can do anything he puts his mind to. So he, can he just doesn't spend any money on marketing. So <laughs> it's a tough uh, problem to have. I think, uh, Jason, you want to go first? Because yeah, it's sure. a good balance. You have a lot more agencies than yeah, I Yeah, absolutely. So we were very, very agency focused until... Or, um, this year. And uh, we hired uh, Connor, who's out there as our head of growth. We stole him from our agency. No, he left our agency and, wanted, and came and worked for us. So we have our head of growth. And then we have um, two head, uh, lead kind of performance marketers. One is focused on non-Facebook. So Google, um, YouTube, and, and other projects. And then the other one is focused on affiliate and SEO. Uh, underneath them is, is, is e-commerce manager. Uh, and then we have Andrew who's here who runs retention for us. And we still lean on all the agencies that I talked about. They're still with us. We're very loyal. Uh, we sometimes move things around. But so we still run a pretty lean team. Uh, we have a brand side team too. So I have a chief brand officer. I have a uh, ahead of uh, basically organic content because we do a lot of really cool stuff with chefs. So we do a lot of organic content with chefs. We do shoots with Gordon Ramsay three times a year. So we have a team there, but we also, uh, we leverage like outside production people. So we don't have like a ton of in-house production people for, for content. Um, we do have a graphic designer. Um, we don't even have an in-house video editor yet, which is, which is crazy, but like we're in LA, so there's a lot of talent. So we have a pretty lean team um, and everyone works really hard and has really 
um, everyone's obsessed because when you have, when you see a certain level of success, that momentum that just gain, gives you momentum. And, you know, frankly, it's been a real incredible thing over the last year with our success, having all these great people want to join our team. So I think we have a real incredibly high quality team versus just having bodies. Yeah, we have our CMO, Connor, who is my best friend and is a legendary operator. He has a VP of brand, Kevin. He has a VP of acquisition, Jimmy, and he has a VP of retention, Sydney. Underneath all of them, uh, we have, underneath the VP of brand, you have uh, art directors and graphic designers who are actually producing mostly email content and imagery for the website. Under the VP of acquisition, Jimmy, there's, uh, you know, and media buyer, buyer exclusively focused on tertiary channels being, uh, you know, the TikToks of the world, the Snapchats of the world, whatever. You have a media buyer exclusively focused on Facebook and one, we actually have two focused on SEM. So mostly Google, but you can throw Bing in there. It's the same. Uh, the VP of Retention Sydney, she's in charge of all things SMS, all things uh, email, and also customer service is starting to roll up into her. Um, then we have a VP of partnerships who does everything in our influencer program. That's probably six bodies on that team full-time in the U.S. working on that. Uh, and then we have a VP of Amazon who has a bunch of contractors under him. But it's mostly trying to break out like paid performance versus retention versus brand and how those things interact. Mike, want to answer that too? No? No? Uh, yeah, we, we, we have a really robust creative department and I think we're building out the infrastructure on top of that to turn that into paid. Uh, and I think I had a conversation with Connor recently. He, he gave the analogy that what we're doing with product is kind of what Ridge has been able to do when it comes to marketing, that they have just this unbelievable, just kind of assembly line where every day they are putting out lots of really high quality creative. So for us, it's okay, we've learned how to do this in one area. Let's take those principles and let's replicate it in the creative and advertising world. And that's what we're working on doing right now. Very, very cool. We have one more time for one more. One more. Okay. Rapid fire Q and A. Let's, Let's go. go. All right, Sean, you talked about the economic uh, impact on ads this year, and Mike, I think you tweeted about uh, twenty four. So going into like a volatile election year, uh, what is your guys's predictions and strategy? I think that uh, an unpopular president facing re-election will pull whatever it takes to get the Fed to cut rates and probably suspend student loan payments. I think we go into another bull market for four years until there's a Great Depression-style collapse for the second half of the decade. So, <laughs> all right, all right. I think, I think to, to, to quote a panzerism, uh, make hay while the sun's out. I think we got like four or five years to make all your money, but I think things get really bad because... Sean has gone full prepper on us in this episode. 
Um, well, I guess I have a sunnier disposition than Sean. Um, I, the, the one thing I will say that's concerning is that the student debt repayment, uh, one of the people on our team did some analysis and basically looked at, okay, how much money is this? How does it impact things? And his guess is in our category, it could probably create as much as a 10% headwind. I mean, if, if that really does happen and we really start actually repaying things like loans in this country, then that is going to suck money out of discretionary and that's going to be a headwind. That doesn't mean that other things can't go well, but we should all have, uh, I think, a little bit of caution going into next year because we've seen credit card debt is has returned to that pre-COVID trend line and that combined with student debt repayment is going to suck some of the air out of the room. I like this question because there's really there's two different forces working here. There's the spend around the election, right? Because we saw that in 2020. Like remember, I remember August and and September 2020 were were shitty for us because the po political spend. Um, and then we were kind of everyone was thinking that this year, um, Marty from from the, our chat, which was the genesis of this pod, he said it early on, and I was hoping he was right. Is that the price of ads is going to come down this year because with e economic softness? And uh, I don't know if that's really happened. Um, and now that student loans are, are going to start, you know, payments going to start kicking in. Everyone's talking about that being a drag on consumer. So if there's a drag on consumer, hopefully ads cost less. Uh, but now we're going to have all the political money coming in. So I think, yeah, it'll probably be just status quo. Write your congressman, get them to ban Facebook ads and political spending going together and protect e-commerce. Because if we can get that, the political dollars out. Hey guys, uh, I think I speak for a lot of us in the room when I say thank you for your authenticity and your honesty. That's why we listen to your podcast. Um, I'm really curious to know from each of you, Mike, you had mentioned that in your life, there are finite ways and times when you can seek excellence. I'm wondering, in addition to your business, where are those areas of your life and how have they changed over time? Yeah. So for me, if I am a better father than a husband or CEO, then I've lost the lead. You know, like we actually know the answer to this question. There's a lot of research around when people are on their deathbeds, like they're looking back, they reflect what matters to them. We know the answer right now. We can choose to avoid that uh, like it's not real. But I want to be the type of person that runs decisions through the filter of how am I going to feel about this when I'm 70 or 80? And so I work backwards from that. So to me, it starts with relationships are the most important part of life. And that's also why the way we've built our company, we've made a really big emphasis on relationships within the company and the culture, because it's one of the ways that I get a lot more joy out of my work is that, that I build those in. So I would say, you know, my, my focuses are close relationships um, and faith running the business and then wanting to give and that pretty much takes and and trying to stay in shape and that pretty much takes every minute that i have um but i feel good you know i, I run full days and if at 70 or 80 i look back and i say that's how i spent my time i'm gonna feel pretty good about it ROAS, cac ltv <laughs> that's my order sean is my shadow self <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I just had my parents up at my... Oh, one, one thing real quick. I just had my parents up at my house for three weeks. They live in Florida. I don't see them that much. And I realized that one of the most... Like one of the most beautiful things right now is that my parents are proud of me. 
Mm. You know, like making your parents proud and, and being a father that hopefully your children admire you uh, or a mother for that, you know, you know, that your children admire you. That those are two like really beautiful parts of my life today that maybe weren't th that way 10 or 15 years ago. Amazing. One more here. Hey, uh, Charlie here. Um, first off, thank you guys a lot. Um, I think you guys have done, like, I love to weaponize your autism. I'm, I'm the exact same fucking way, dude. I'm, autism and ADD, like, you cannot beat me. I love it. But I, with that in mind, I think you also get, like, down the rabbit hole of, like, 80%, like, and do a thousand things up to 80% not to get the shit done. And I think you guys have given a lot of great advice on what's helping you get to this nine-figure space. But there's a lot of folks in the room that are, like, seven, eight figures, and I think there's a lot of the advice that you guys have given that might present itself as an amazing solution at 125, but might be a liability at 15. And of all the things you guys have said, is there any of those things you would call out like, hey, look, this is great, but if you're only doing one, two million a month or a week, like this is not for you yet. Because I think there's a lot of exciting ideas, but chasing that shit is gonna get in people's way of really being successful. And I know you guys know some of the hurdles, but I'd love to hear what you think those might be. You know, Charlie, that's, that's a good point. And we, I think we do try with the pod to not just have it be about us being nine figure brands. I mean, I think people aspire to be a nine figure brand and, and that's, that's great. Right. But like Sean is always talking about, you know, if you are a small brand, like don't bother with X, don't bother with Z, spend your money on Facebook. So we, I think there is a lot of it that what we talk about, we try to keep it sort of general. And when you talk about execution, like people in this room probably aren't going to spend seven figures on a deal with Haley Bieber, like, like we did, but, um, but that's okay. Like you can still do influencer seating, right? So there's a, I think there are a lot of things that, that we talk about, uh, at least we hope, and we'll, we should definitely think more about that. Um, a number of people have said that is, but, I think there's a lot of universal concepts within business in general that, um, but, but we, we have a Slack group for operators and there are a lot of small po folks in that group and definitely, uh, we, we encourage anyone else to get involved and ask us questions and we can try to make it, you know, real at that level. Listen, survivorship bias is real. All right. And I'll just say this. I bet many of you are better operators than I am. Okay. Like, some of it is just situation. Okay. I'd like to think I work hard and I did a good job and I, I took my, my opportunity. I did the most with it. That doesn't make me any better or any worse of an operator than anybody in this room. And there's a lot of honor in just taking whatever you have and doing it to the best of your ability. And that's what I would hope people hear from me. And it does look different. Like, listen, I can tell you, I had nights where I was up at 3 AM in the morning, trying to figure out how to get LTVs on this new site. We'd launched from $5 to $5 and 50 cents as pathetic as that sounds. Okay. And that's, what's real. And I know everybody in this room at one point or another has felt the angst of why can I not make the stupid number go up? Why can we not get to profitability? I really hope what you take away from the show, and this is definitely the heart and the spirit that we do it with, is to help.
And I would say, take the things that are helpful, especially the principles that are helpful and apply them and just disregard the other stuff. Sometimes we, you know, we can easily tell ourselves stories about why things worked and it's because we did this smart tactic or that. And the reality was we just were lucky, right? It's post facto kind of explanation um, and the stories we tell ourselves. But I do think this, I think the early days are about being a generalist and it's about diversely learning all of the different, I mean, e-commerce is a generalist game. And this is probably one of the hills that I'll die on is that you, you ultimately get to the scale where it by building great teams, but how do you build a great team if you don't even know what's required to do each of the individual functions well? And how are you going to learn that if you don't first put in the work and do it yourself? And so there's no shortcuts, right? To get to where we are, to get to a profitable business of any scale, you're going to have to put in the work. And I just want to say to everybody in this room, like, I feel like this is a community where I feel understood. And I get you too, because I've been there too. And listen, I've been a part of companies that I poured everything into and they went to zero. Right. And that's what's true. That's just as true as that the fact that I run a company that does nine figures now. It's part of the game. And and that's why I try to like like I said, I've I've learned to not put my identity in those things. And that was a massive unlock for me. Like that was awesome. I just want to say that. No, I I don't want to like that was was fucking that was strong. It's hard to follow up. It was a standing ovation type speech. Like, I, like that was that was really good. But uh, Charlie asked a very important question, right? I think we should just restate it. Is that whatever we say, there's a good chance it, would, it could kill your business, right? Whatever worked for me fucking five years ago, like if I told you to do exactly the same thing, it would totally ruin what, what, what's going on. Um, and the panzerism is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Well, luck wins every single fucking time. The best thing you can do is be lucky. So try to optimize for that. Uh, you can't. Um, but, you know, practically, I can give you advice that if I was starting today, what I would do is get very, very good at creating content and have a product that people love and is visually appealing. Like that is all I would do, right? And I would take, I wouldn't use it. I would put every single dollar into Facebook ads because I still think that's the best place to put your money. And until you get to a point where the money is better spent on something else, I would not buy... I think I posted this on Twitter. Like, you To get to $30 million a year right now, you actually don't need email or SMS. Sorry, Jimmy. You actually don't need attribution software. All you need is an amazing product, the ability to make content, and Facebook ads. And... That is advice you could take away today that's currently applicable in 2023. So all the other shit we have, and it's it's nice to have, it's like, you know, it's all flashy or whatever. Gordon Ramsay's great. Hexclad could do $30 million with a great product, uh, amazing creative and Facebook ads. And that's what you should just do until you get to that point. I got to say, as I listen to this, this episode has been great. I mean, we've got Sean, basically his message is a TikTok shop, use Facebook as everything else sucks. I got that. We got a Mike here. He dropped a lot of personal development knowledge bombs. I really, as an operator myself, listening to him and it's motivating, it's inspiring. And it's, it's great to hear that you think about the same things I think about just in a different way. And of course, Jason's obsession, I think 
That's truthful to probably everybody in this room. Having obsession is really the core of who we are and being so, uh, what's that, uh, what's committed to winning ultimately. And that's why these guys are winning here on stage.